0: Chapter One of Secret History Revealed by Lady Peggy O'Malley. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. Secret History Revealed by Lady Peggy O'Malley by Charles Norris Williamson and Alice Muriel Williamson. Chapter One If I didn't tell this, nobody else ever would certainly not diana nor major van dyke still less eagle himself i mean captain eagleston march and they and i are the only ones who know except a few such people as presidents and secretaries of war and generals who never tell anything even under torture besides there is the unofficial part without that the drama would be like a play in three acts, with the first and third acts chopped off. The presidents and secretaries of war and generals know nothing about the unofficial part. It's strange how the biggest things in life grow out of the tiniest ones. There is the old simile of the acorn and the oak, for instance, but oaks take a long time to grow, and everybody concerned in oak culture is calmly expecting them to do it imagine an acorn exploding to let out an oak huge enough to shadow the world if two years ago when i was sixteen i hadn't wanted money to buy a white frock with roses on it which i saw in selfridge's window a secret crisis between the united states and mexico would have been avoided and the career of a splendid soldier would not have been broken one month before I met the white dress, Diana and father and I had come from home, that's Connell, to see what good we could do with the season in London, good for Diana I mean, and I put her before father because he does so himself, everyone else he puts far, far behind, like the beasts following Noah into the ark. Not that I am sure, without looking them up, that they did follow Noah. But if it had been father, he would have arranged it in that way, to escape seeing their ugly faces or smelling those who were not nice to smell. I suppose I should have been left at Ballyconnell with nothing to do but study my beloved French and Spanish, my sole accomplishments. Only father had contrived to let the place through the New York Herald to an American family, who, poor dears, snapped it up by cable. From the description in the advertisement of a wonderful twelfth-century castle besides diana couldn't afford a maid and that's why i was taken to america afterward i can do hair beautifully so when one thinks back fate had begun to weave a web long before the making of that white dress none of those tremendous things would have happened to change heaven knows how many lives i hadn't been born with the knack of a hairdresser inherited perhaps from some bourgeoisie ancestress of mine on mother's side when the american family found out what ballyconnell was really like and the twelfth century rats had crept out from the hinterland of the old wainscoting rich in ancient oak the advertisement stated to scamper over its faces by night and doorknobs had come off in its hands by day or torn carpets had tripped it up and sprained its ankles it said bad words about deceitful stony broke irish earls and fled at the end of a fortnight having paid for two months in advance at the rate of thirty five guineas a week father had been sadly sure that the americans would do that very thing so he had counted on getting only the advance money and no more This meant cheap lodgings for us, which spoiled Diana's chances from the start, as she told father the minute she saw the house. It was in a fairly good neighborhood, and the address looked fashionable on paper, but man and especially girl may not live on neighborhood and paper alone, even if the latter can be peppered with cornets. I don't know what curse a mildew collects on poor Irish earls, but it simply goes nowhere to be one in london and then there was the handicap of father's two quaint marriages diana's mother was a music-hall artiste isn't that the word without any money except what she earned and also i heard a woman say once when she thought little pitchers ears were engaged elsewhere without any h's except in the wrong places. My mother, the poor darling, must have been just as unsuitable in her way. She was a French chocolate heiress, whom father married to mend the family fortunes when Diana was five. But someone shortly after sprang on the market a better chocolate than her people made, so she was a failure, too. And not even beautiful like Diana's mother, Luckily for her, she died when I was born, but neither she nor the artiste can have helped father much with the smart friends of his young days, when he was one of the best-looking bachelors in town. Diana was considered beautiful, but the image of her mother by those inconvenient creatures who run around the world remembering other people's pasts. And although she and father were invited to lots of big crushes, they weren't asked to any of the charming, intimate things, which Diana says are the right background for a debutante. This went to Di's heart and father's liver, and made them both dreadfully hard to get on with. Cinderella wasn't in it with me, except that when they were beastly, I was beastly back again, a relief to which Cinderella probably didn't treat herself being a fairy-story heroine, stuffed with virtues, as a sultana-cake is stuffed with plums. The day I asked Father for the white frock with roses on it in Selfridge's window, he was so disagreeable that I went to my room and slammed the door and kicked a chair. It was true that I did not need the dress, because I never went anywhere and was only a flapper. It's almost more unpleasant to be called a flapper than a mouth to feed still the real pleasure of having a thing is when you don't need it but just want it the farther away from me the gown seemed to recede the more i longed for it and when father told me not to nag or be a little idiot i determined that somehow or other by hook or crook the frock should hang on my wall behind the chin's curtain which calls itself a wardrobe the morning of the refusal father and di were starting off to be away all day and night they were asked to a ridiculous house party given by a rich suburban pickle family at Epsom for the derby and di had been grumbling that it was exactly the sort of invitation they would get for one night and the derby instead of ascot however it was the time of the month for a moon and quite decent young men had been enticed so Di wasn't so sorry for herself after all her nickname at home in ireland diana the huntress had been already imported free of duty to england by a discarded flirtee. but i don't think she minded it sounded so dashing even if it was only grasping she went off moderately happy and i was left with twenty-four hours on my hands to decide by what hook or what crook i could possibly annex the dress which i felt had been born for me at last i thought of a way that might do my poor little chocolate mother made a will the day before she died when i was a week old leaving everything she possessed to me of course her money was all gone because she had been married for two years to father and himself is a very expensive man but he hadn't spent her jewels yet nor her wedding veil nor a few other pieces of lace since then he's wheedled most of the jewelry out of me but the wedding veil i mean to keep always and a point de la son scarf and some handkerchiefs he has probably forgotten. I had forgotten them too. But when I was racking my brain how to get the selfridge dress, the remembrance tumbled down off its dusty little shelf. The legacies were at the bottom of my trunk because it was simpler to bring them away from Ballyconal than find a stowaway place that the American family wouldn't need for its belongings the veil, nothing would have induced me to part with it. But the scarf was so old. I felt sure it must have come to my mother from a succession of chocolate or perhaps soap or sardine grandmamas, and I hadn't much sentiment about it. I had no precise idea what the lace ought to be worth. But I fancied Pond de Son must be valuable, and I thought I ought to get more than enough by selling it to buy the white dress which cost seven guineas. Taxiing through Water Street with Dye, I had often noticed an antique shop appropriately crusted with the grime of centuries, all but the polished window, where lace and china and bits of old silver were displayed. It seemed to me that a person intelligent enough to combine odds and ends with such fetching effect ought to be the man to appreciate my great or great-great-grandmother's scarf i didn't run to taxis when alone and would as soon as have got into one of those appalling motor-buses as leap on to the back of a mad elephant that had berserked out of the zoo consequently i had to walk it was an untidy badly dusted day with a hot wind and i realized when i caught sight of myself in a convex mirror in the curiosity shop window but i looked rather like a small female edition of strumple peter there was a bell on the door which like a shrill disparaging leitmotif announced me and made me suddenly self-conscious it hadn't occurred to me before that there was anything to be ashamed of or frightened about in my errand i'd vaguely pictured the shopman as a dear old dickensy thing who would take a fussy interest in me and my scarf and who would with a fatherly manner press upon me a handful of sovereigns or a bank-note but as the bell jangled one of the most repulsive men i ever saw looked toward the door there was another man in the place talking to the first creature and he looked up too not even the blindest bat however could have mistaken him for a shopkeeper And his being there put not only a different complexion on the business, but on me. I felt mine turning bright pink instead of the usual cream that accompanies the chocolate-colored hair and eyes with which I advertised the industry of my French ancestors. The shopman stared at me with a sulky look exactly like that of Nebuchadnezzar, our boar pig from Yorkshire, which took a prize for its nose or something this person might have won a prize for his nose also if an offer had been going for large ones the rest of his face olive green and fat was in the perspective of his nose just as the lesser proportions of his body such as chest and legs were in the perspective of his waist the shop was much smaller than i had expected from the window a place you might have swung a cat in without giving it a concussion of the brain but not a lion and the men fat proprietor and his long lean customer and two suits of deformed looking armour seemed almost to fill in i heard an actor talk about a theatre being so tiny he was on the audience and these two were on theirs the audience being me i was so close to the fat one that I could see the crumbs on the folds of his waistcoat, like food stored on cupboard shelves. I took such a dislike to him that I felt inclined to bounce out as quickly as I had bounced in, but the door had banged mechanically behind me, as if to stop the bell at any cost. The shop smelt of moth powder, old leather, musty paper, and hair oil well my little girl what do you want inquired nebuchadnezzar with a kind of lisp that turns a rat into a yat little girl indeed to be called a little girl by a thing like that and ask what i wanted in that second-hand hebrew tone made me boil for half a second then suddenly i saw that it was funny i almost giggled as I imagined myself haughtily explaining that I had reached the age of sixteen, to say nothing of being the daughter of two or three hundred earls. I didn't care a tuppenny anything whether he mistook me for nine or ninety, but I did begin to feel that it wouldn't be pleasant unrolling my tissue-paper parcel and bargaining for money under the eyes and ears of the other man. They were very nice eyes and ears. Already I had time to notice that, for even in these days when men aren't supposed to be as indispensable to females as they were in Edwardian or Victorian earlier ages, I don't think it's entirely obsolete for a girl to learn more about a man's looks in three seconds than she picks up about another woman's frock in two. This man wasn't what most girls of sixteen Would call young but I'm different from most girls because I've always had to be a sort of law unto myself in order not to become a family footstool I've had to make up my mind about everything or risk my brain degenerating into a bath sponge and one of the things I made it up about early was that I didn't like boys or nuts The customer in the curiosity shop to whom the proprietor was showing perfect ducks of Chelsea lambs, plastered against green Chelsea bushes, was maybe 28 or 30, a great age for a woman, but not so bad for a man, and I wished to goodness he would buy or not buy a lamb and go forth about other business. However, I couldn't indefinitely delay answering that question addressed to little girl, i want to show you a point lace scarf i snapped nebuchadnezzar's understudy squeezed himself out from behind the counter and lumbered a step or two nearer me moving not straight ahead but from side to side as tables do for spiritualists we don't mend lace here if that's what you've come for my child he patronized me it doesn't need to be mended, said I. It's beautiful lace. It's to be sold. Oh, oh, he exploded with a cockney drawl and a rude look coming into his eyes, which he'd kept out while there was hope that the dusty, blown-away little thing might turn into a customer. Well, let's see. But I've got more old lace on hand now than I know what to do with. As I unrolled layers of tissue paper which seemed to rustle loudly out of sheer spite, I was conscious that the customer had sauntered away as far as possible and was gazing at some old prints on the wall which gave him an excuse to turn his back to us. I thought this sweetly tactful of him. Nebuchadnezzar, over the shop he calls himself Franks, the sort of noncommittal name, a Jacobs or Wolfstein likes to hide under, almost snatched the lace from my hands as I opened the package, shook out its folds, held it close to his eyes, pawed it, and sniffed. Hm. he grunted ungraciously, same old thing as usual. If I've got one of them, I've got a dozen. What did you expect to ask for it? Ten pounds, I announced, as bold as one of those lions that could not be swung in his shop. Ten pounds. I don't know whether the sound he made was meant for a snort or a laugh. Ten grandmothers. Yes, said I, flaring up as if he'd struck a match on me. That's just it. Ten of my grandmothers have worn this scarf since it was made, and I want a pound for each of them there was a small funny noise behind me like a staunch giggle and i glanced over my shoulder at the customer but his back looked most calm and inoffensive you'll have to take it out in wanting i'm afraid my girl returned the shopkeeper i can offer you thirty bob no more and no less that's all the thing's worth to me i tried to pull the scarf out of his hands but he didn't seem ready to give it up it's worth a great deal more to me i said i'll carry it away somewhere else where they know about old lace my word you're a pert young piece for your size remarked the horrible man and though i could have boxed his ears which stood out exactly like the handles on an urn i felt my own tingle because it was true what he said i was a pert young piece holding my own at home and lots of other things in life for sixteen years of life seem fearfully long if they're all you got behind you, had made me pert, and I didn't love myself for it, any more than a porcupine can be really fond of his own quills. I couldn't bear somehow that the man with the nice eyes should be hearing me called a pert piece, and thinking me one. Quite a smart repartee came into my head, but a heavy feeling in my heart kept me from putting it into words and nebuchadnezzar was grunting on i know as much about old lace as any man in this street if not in town that's why i don't offer more give me back my scarf please was my only answer in quite a small voice still he held on to the lace look here miss said he in a changed tone how did you come to get hold of this bit of property anyhow Folks ain't in the habit of sending their children out to dispose of their valuables. How can I tell that you ain't nicked this off your mother or your aunt or some other dame who doesn't know you're out? If I was doing my duty, I shouldn't wonder if I oughtn't to call in the police. You horrid, horrid person. I flung at him. You're trying to frighten me, to blackmail me into selling you my lace for thirty shillings when maybe it's worth twenty times that but if anyone calls the police it'll be me to give you in charge for for intimidation almost before i had time to be proud of the word when i'd contrived to get it out the customer had detached himself from the prince and intervened i beg your pardon for interfering he said to me not to nebuchadnezzar but i can't help wondering and he smiled a perfectly disarming smile if you aren't rather young to be a businesswoman on your own account will you let me see the lace of course the shopkeeper gave it to him instantly shamefaced at realizing that his customer instead of admiring his smart methods was entering the lists against him while my champion i felt sure somehow he was my champion at heart took the scarf in his hands and began trying to look wise over it, I had about forty-nine seconds in which to look at him. Even at first glance, I had thought him nice, but now I decided that he was the nicest man I had ever seen. Not the handsomest. I don't mean that, for our country Ireland is celebrated for its handsome men, both high and low. Also, I'd seen several dreams since we came to London, but, well, just the nicest because it was the middle of the season and he was in tweeds i fancied that he didn't go in for being smart i'd learned already about london ways to understand as much as that but all the same i thought that he had the air of a soldier and he had such a contradictory sort of face that it interested me immensely wondering what the contradictions meant he had taken off his hat when I came into the shop, I'd noticed that, and had been pleased, and now I saw that the upper part of his forehead was very white, and the rest of his face very tanned, as if his complexion had slipped down. He had almost straw-coloured hair, which seemed lighter than it was because of his sunburned skin, and his eyebrows and the eyelashes lowered while he gazed at my lace. Were two or three shades darker. They were long, arched brows that gave a look of dreamy romance to the upper part of his face, but the lower part was extremely determined, perhaps even obstinate. It jumped into my head that a woman, even a fascinator like Diana, would never be able to make him change his mind about things or do things he didn't wish to do. That was one of the contradictions. And the nose was another. It was rather a Roman sort of nose, and looked aggressive, as if it would be searching about for forlorn hopes to fight for, anyhow as if it must fight at all costs. Then contradicting the nose was the mouth, for he was clean-shaven, as all young men ought to be, and not leave too much to our imagination. A mouth somehow like a boy's, affectionate and kind and gay, though far from being weak, i didn't know what to make of him at all and of course i liked him the better for that i think this is mighty fine lace he pronounced when he had studied it long enough to show off as a connoisseur and all of a sudden i realized that he was an american diana had collected two american friends who often invited her to the savoy and i'd heard them and no one else say mighty fine Are you sure you want to get rid of it? I thought he was a dear, to put it like that, as if I could have no real need for money, but had such a glut of lace scarves at home that I must rid myself of a few superfluous ones. As he spoke, he was looking straight at me with the kind eyes I had noticed first of all, grey and yellow and brown mixed up together into hazel, i suppose it must have been some quality in that look which made me decide instantly to tell him everything i'd have suffered the torture of the boot anyhow for a minute or two before i would have explained myself to nebuchadnezzar i'm sure i do want to sell if i can get as much as ten pounds for the thing i answered nothing less than seven guineas would be of any use to me there's something which costs seven guineas a thing i'm dying to buy my mother left this scarf to me as well as some other lace i wouldn't sell for the world but it's quite mine and i can do as i like with it let me see ten pounds is fifty dollars isn't it the man reflected aloud i don't know i caught him up anything about american money or america He smiled at me again perhaps i had hoped he would that's too bad you ought to come over on our side and learn i'd love to especially to the parts where i could show off my french and spanish but i'm sure i shall never get the chance to cross the sea i was three thousand miles from dreaming then of all the things that were to come out of this little affair of the scarf and the dress Which had tempted me to put my lace on the market. Well, he went on, going back from me to my property, I'll buy this pretty thing for ten pounds if you like to sell it to me. But honestly, I warn you that for all I know it may be worth a lot more. I'll be perfectly satisfied with ten pounds, I said. But I don't wish you to buy just out of kindness, but I'm almost sure you don't really want to. But I do he assured me i came into this place to carry out a commission for an aunt of mine in america she wrote and asked me to find something in a curiosity shop in england that she could give for a wedding present to a girl who's wild about antiques an old friend of ours is going to take the parcel back with her when she sails tomorrow smuggle it maybe but that's not my business i thought of a miniature on ivory but i haven't taken a big fancy to anything i've seen so far i like your lace better and it costs just the money my aunt told me to spend so there you are and there's the lace i added laughing it's yours thank you very much it's for me to thank you said he i'm awfully afraid i'm getting the best of the bargain though wouldn't you rather go somewhere first and consult an expert No, indeed, said I. Maybe the expert would tell us the lace was worth only five pounds, not ten. What I'm in a hurry to do is to dash to Selfridges and buy the dress I want before some beast of a girl gets it before me. Oh, horror! Maybe she's there already. The worst of it is, said my new friend, I felt he was that. I haven't got the ten pounds on me i meant to have anything i might decide to buy sent home and paid for at my hotel can't i go with you to your hotel and you give me the money there i wanted to know you see i'm in such a hurry about the dress he glanced at me with a funny look in his eyes and somehow i read what it meant he hadn't called me a little girl and had behaved as respectfully as if i were a hundred but i could see that he thought me about twelve or thirteen and now he was saying to himself no harm carting a child like that about without a chaperon this was the first time i had ever been glad i had sacrificed myself for di and come to london in my old frocks up to the top of my boots and my hair hanging in two tails down to my waist. Of course, if any one were caddish or cattish enough to look her up in the book, it could be found out at a glance that Lady Diana O'Malley was twenty-three. But even if a person is a cat or a cat, he or she is often too lazy to go through the dull pages of de or Burke, and besides, there is seldom one of the books handy therefore di had a sporting chance of being taken for eighteen the sweet conventional age of a debutante on her presentation everyone did know however that father had married twice and that there must be a difference of five or six years between diana and the chocolate child accordingly if i could be induced to look thirteen at most it would be useful as for me I hadn't cared particularly i knew i shouldn't get any grown-up fun in london whether my hair were in a tail or a twist or whether my dresses were short or long sometimes i had been sorry for beginning in that way but now i saw that virtue was going to be rewarded all right said my friend maybe it'll be the best arrangement and we left nebuchadnezzar looking as the dog in the fable must have looked when he snapped at the reflected bit of meat in the water and lost the bit in his mouth a taxi was passing and stopped at the flourish of a cane i jumped in before i could be helped the man followed and though i was looking forward only to a little fun my very first adventure in london on my own the chauffeur was speeding us along a road that didn't stop at the waldorf hotel it was a road which would carry us both on and on toward a blazing bonfire of wild passion and romance end of chapter one recording by john brandon